From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are creating quandaries for regulators and lawmakers, particularly as the value of the virtual money has gyrated and as companies have taken to using them via initial coin offerings as a way of funding their operations. European regulators are expected to fire the first shot shortly with a release of recommendations on what should be done to protect investors and preserve the integrity of financial markets. My guest today on a special edition of the CQ on Congress podcast is Georgetown University law professor Chris Brummer, one of the world's leading experts on the use of technology to make financial transactions more accessible, or FinTech. We are partnering with Professor Brummer to launch new coverage across all of our platforms at CQ, Roll Call, and our parent company, Fiscal Note, of FinTech and its implications for businesses, consumers, regulators, and lawmakers. Welcome, Professor Brummer. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Professor, you've seen a draft copy of the European Union report that's expected as early as this week. What does it say? Well, two of the leading financial regulatory authorities uh, in the European Union, one called the European Securities Market Authority and the European Banking Authority, being the second, uh, released pivotal reports that are geared towards creating a bespoke regime for crypto assets that are not currently subject to regulation in the block. This is a very long-winded way of saying that they're releasing new rules and new rules that have the potential of rethinking how the block and potentially the world looks at crypto assets. Okay, so let's take a step back first for our listeners who aren't in the know. What are virtual currencies and why are people buying them? Well, virtual currencies are one name for something called a crypto asset. And regulators debate really what to call them for a host of reasons, in part because what you call them can impact how and whether you regulate them. So if you call it a virtual currency, and I'll provide a definition in just a second, it just means that, well, maybe we should start treating this thing, whatever it is, as money or like a mm -hmm. currency. But a, 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 a virtual currency, or more generally a crypto asset, is a digital representation of value that's not backed by a state or a government, but it can be accepted uh, by other kinds of individuals, by natural persons, by corporations and the like, as value and exchanged as valued and transferred and stored as value, but they do so by dint of something called a blockchain. And a blockchain is in itself a system in which a record of cryptocurrency transactions can be maintained as a ledger and distributed among several computers or many computers that are linked together through a peer-to-peer -peer network. So we know that governments are skeptical, even hostile, to competing currencies, to the ones that they mint and uh, manufacture. So are, are cryptocurrencies a good thing? So th that is a loaded question in part because that is a question that the regulators themselves are trying to, to figure out. And, and it's also something, frankly, that the market is trying to figure out. 
Uh, right now, it's better to look at cryptocurrencies and crypto assets as fledgling technologies, uh, fledgling applications of technologies, where lots of developers are trying to figure out from both a technological perspective and also from the standpoint of a business plan, whether or not using the blockchain uh, and distributed ledger technologies and using virtual currencies, some of which like Bitcoin are rather well known and others, can be used in ways uh, to, to create value for individuals uh, and for businesses. Can you give some examples of how they're being used now? So crypto assets, again, is a category, and I think it's perhaps the most neutral word for them, of uh, a variety of use cases uh, that are at times perplexing regulators. Uh, a cryptocurrency on the one hand, in its most basic sense, can be used, as you had mentioned, as, as, as a virtual currency and as a means of payment. Right? It may not necessarily be backed by the state, but it can be used as a means of payment between individuals to purchase anything, really, um, from a cup of coffee to, I've, I've seen signs uh, in, in San Francisco where you can use Bitcoin to purchase real estate. You can also think about crypto assets uh, as involving other kinds of applications. So in one instance, crypto assets can be used as access devices where you can uh, tap into services that are being provided online. So think about a data or cloud storage facility where you can use a certain kind of crypto asset and it's almost like plugging into a pinball machine, but instead of playing a game, you're able to plug it into the machine and use and access extra data or storage capacities online. And that's the kind of utility purpose. And then finally, it can be used to raise money uh, uh, where you uh, give people uh, a digital representation of value, a, a, a crypto asset, uh, in return for real money, for fiat currency perhaps, that is then used to build something. Uh, and that something can be a commercial device. And in those kinds of circumstances, uh, that crypto asset starts to look a little bit more in, in, like a stock or a bond or like a security. Okay, Professor, right. This is a, a key issue for the regulators. These. You're talking about initial coin offerings Absolutely. where companies offer these virtual currencies That's as right. a way of funding their operations. If those coins confer some sort of ownership, it implicates securities law. That's right. And the question is when and at what point are securities laws implicated? Now, this has been a major debate here in the United States, and Congress itself has tried to get involved in part to uh, clarify uh, the line here in the United States because uh, what constitutes a security is largely a matter of Supreme Court jurisprudence. There's a special kind of test called the Howey test, and it's applied on a case-by-case -case basis to define whether or not a crypto asset is, for example, a, a, a security or, or whether it's not, uh, and, and therefore is subject to other kinds of regulations, say, by other regulatory agencies. And why are those rules surrounding securities important? Do they protect those investing in a new company? You know, securities laws in general, and this is why the particular approach uh, uh, embraced by uh, ESMA, the European Securities Market Authority, is going to have potential reverberations here uh, in the United States. You know, securities law is all about trying to cure information asymmetries. Fancy way of saying not knowing what you're buying, right? And securities laws are geared towards instances where you have lots of people who are buying smaller interests in things where another party has better information, 
right? And securities laws are about creating disclosures, um, anti-fraud uh, uh, mechanisms, expectations of the venues where securities are traded, a whole host of laws all geared towards protecting investors and making sure that capital is more efficiently allocated in any particular country or jurisdiction. And regulators have viewed some of these initial coin offerings as uh, essentially offerings of securities, but in other cases, not. That's right, and, and, and the consequences are considerable. Now, what's important in the United States is that initial coin offerings, for the most part, have been viewed as securities, as you mentioned, and the SEC seems to have carved out a, a relatively small universe of pure cryptocurrencies or virtual currencies that don't fall in the securities uh, box. And those kinds of instruments are, for the most part, subject to other kinds of rules. There are some, certain kinds of rules called money transmitter laws, or they may be subject to regulation by the Commodity Futures um, Trading Commission or the CFTC. But the, the lion's share of these ICOs in particular are subject to the SEC. And the SEC has said, hey, we don't have to make radical changes to our existing regulatory regime. We can just take these new issuances and apply the rules that we already have to these new innovative products. Europe is coming to a slightly different uh, conclusion. That's what we expect from this new report. That's right. That ultimately, the Europeans are saying, well, our regulatory framework called MIFID uh, is not capturing uh, the lion's share of, or at least, I should be very careful, at least 10 to 30% of all initial coin offerings, or at least uh, uh, offerings involving crypto assets. And as a result, uh, both the European Banking Authority and the European Securities Market Authority, so the, the European securities regulators, are suggesting a brand new regime, potentially, uh, that is outside of its traditional uh, securities law framework. So to make a long story short and to really simplify it, the Europeans are being far more inventive and, uh, dare I say, ambitious uh, because they're setting themselves up uh, and they're setting the commission up to explore the option of a wholesale, independent set of rules for crypto assets. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can subscribe to this podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. My guest today is Georgetown law professor Chris Brummer. We're talking about regulation of cryptocurrencies, and we're launching new, a new coverage area here at CQ, the regulation of this new world of fintech. Professor, uh, back to you. Another important issue for regulators is that cryptocurrencies have also become a popular way for criminal syndicates to launder money. Right? I mean, is this something that the Europeans are looking into? Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you look at a cryptocurrency, it, it's, it's geared towards the cryptographic methods that are used um, uh, to facilitate uh, distributed ledger uh, transactions. Uh, and in one sense, it, it helps to protect uh, the privacy of transactions, but it also lends to anonymity uh, or at least pseudonymity that wrongdoers can use when they're looking to launder money. And there is a real concern uh, both in the United States and in Europe that these transactions are not being sufficiently monitored and as a result are providing an outlet 
uh, for the bad guys, uh, particularly, again, uh, when it comes to money laundering, but also potentially for even terrorism financing. So there are many good uses of cryptocurrencies, also potentially bad ones. Um, Although, you know, one of the more interesting points of the uh, European report, and this is a, a difference, I think, between the Europeans uh, and the, the U.S., if we're going to look at these two reports and the basis that they'll be used as for future commission uh, rulemaking, is that the European regulators are also requiring an inspection or at least an, an evaluation of the use cases of the crypto assets and the context in which they're being used. And this is a little bit different both in tone and substance from the United States, where US regulators like to balance efficiency, financial inclusion perhaps, capital access, you know, the advantages, the potential advantages, if one will, of distributed ledger technologies in the blockchain against some of the risks, like fraud, um, money laundering, and the like. Uh, the European report really is not so concerned with the potential advantages, and they're even asking questions about the uh, utility and the social utility almost of the context in which the crypto assets are themselves being used, which is, is slightly different from are the crypto assets good? They're also asking the overall question of, well, the transactions in which they're being used are these socially useful uh, uh, phenomena in the world, which is, which, is, which is interesting, and we'll see where it goes. So regulation can lend certainty and help new technologies flourish, but at the same time, it can squelch them. From what you're seeing in the EU proposal, uh, are we leaning in one direction or the other? You know, it, this report is so interesting because it points to two different but potentially conflicting scenarios. On the one hand, the harmonization of EU rules could lead to uh, propelling the European Union in a direction of being a much more efficient environment to uh, do business and to also launch a fintech or, in particular, a crypto firm, because you know that once you there's only one set of rules with which you have to comply with across the entire region. And, and that's a real difference, say, from the United States, where we have really the spaghetti soup of regulators, not just the difference between the federal regulators that you have to comply with, but also the state regulators. But there are also a number of federal regulators that you may have to comply with, at least their rules, simultaneously. And you know, if you're going to take the logic of the reports to their uh, extreme, uh, you do see this potential and a certainly a clear movement towards regional harmonization. At the same time, there is uh, an indoubtable sense of skepticism that's also being voiced in the report, right? And the focus on the risks of the uh, cryptocurrency seems to really highlight uh, a degree of unease that many of the national regulators must have in this industry. Now, the complicating factor in the European Union is that uh, member states have different interests. And there's a spectrum of countries, some of which are skeptical of crypto assets, and then others that want to make themselves very competitive locations. They want to attract crypto assets in order to build up their own domestic financial systems, uh, you know, post-Brexit. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is and are competitive pressures within Europe itself. And how those competitive pressures play themselves out 
at the same time at which, at the European level, there is a clear push towards greater harmonization and greater regulation is going to be something that the rest of the world is going to have to live with. So one of the advantage of these, of these crypto assets is, is that they're worldwide, they cross national borders. Does this EU report put them ahead uh, set in setting a marker for regulation ahead of the United States? It does not put them ahead of enforcement and supervision. So one of the drivers behind the report is really an unsaid observation that there are rules that we have at the European level. Clearly not all of the member states are applying those rules uh, as was uh, at least conceived or philosophically in a way that one would have expected. Uh, and as a result, you would have at least expected more regulatory enforcement and greater efforts to do certain kinds of basic things like providing disclosures for certain kinds of crypto asset issuances. Whereas in the United States, we've seen uh, enforcement efforts by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and also the derivatives regulators in the space. And really it's been unequaled um, when you wanna compare the two jurisdictions. But you can certainly see in Europe uh, a move to uh, harmonize rules that are, you know, there are some jurisdictions that have arguably gone beyond the United States in terms of the level and degree of attention that they've paid to crypto assets. Um, some jurisdictions have tried to ignore the issue altogether, uh, so it, it makes the, the answering that question particularly difficult. But what's interesting is that to the extent to which that harmonization happens, it can be exported to other parts of the world. So if you're gonna take something like GDPR and you look at privacy in Europe, well, the way that Europe uh, began to harmonize and come up with a pan-European approach to privacy has been one that the rest of the world has had to live with. And it's been far ahead of the United States. Mm -hmm. And the question is, you know, is that the beginning of a similar process uh, in the European Union. What about Congress? I, I know some in, there has been no law on cryptocurrencies, but uh, some in Congress are thinking about it. What are they thinking about? Well, it's interesting because some of the uh, bills that have been put forth and uh, are also toying with the idea of creating a discrete framework for crypto assets. I mean, it's certainly an idea that's floated around Congress. And it, by, by the way, it's, it's an idea that's floated around on both sides of the aisle for completely different reasons, right? So, you know, uh, some kinds of regulators are thinking, look, this stuff needs deeper, stiffer regulation, and therefore we need a, a bespoke regime. And then there are other folks who are saying, well, uh, the legacy regulatory apparatus of the New Deal from 1933 and 1934, uh, which governs securities, how are you going to apply this to an environment that is decentralized, um, as opposed to your typical traditional IPO, Ford does an IPO sort of transaction, you know, how applicable is that in this world? And uh, though Congress is trying to tackle with it, there's this plurality of perspectives even where the same kinds of uh, formal solutions may pop up from time to time. Uh, but uh, as a result, much of the leadership in that space on a practical level uh, remains with the regulatory agencies, though it's really to be seen, uh, and it's entirely possible, 
uh, because it's it's not a politicized issue in the same way that the other issues are, that this could be something that, that, that gathers steam uh, eventually in Congress. Professor Brummer, thank you very much for joining us. We look, we look forward very much to working with you going forward on this. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.